are. You mend our hearts and you speak to us. You make a way when there is no way. Lord God, we are on a journey and an incredible journey that leads to revival, that leads to our spirits being quickened with life. And Lord, we recognize that these exits that we take sometimes, Lord, they they take us to dark places where we get stuck in the past. They take us to places, Lord, where we celebrate idols in our lives. They take us to these places, Almighty God, where we miss the victory that you have given us. Lord, forgive us. Make a way back to that path. Make a way that is straight, O Lord. Make a way that we would be able to celebrate you and what you have done and join you on your journey. Lord, help us to see where you have spoken to us and how you are speaking to us through the power of your word and join you on this journey even right now. Help us, Lord, to see the victories that you've given us and to walk in those victories not telling you what to do, Lord, but seeing where you are at work and joining you in that place. Make a way for us today, O Lord, not just for our sake, but for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Leonard Sweet recently said that the problem that we have in the church is JDD. Now, you know what ADD is, right? Attention Deficit Disorder. He says we have JDD, Jesus Deficit Disorder. And what he means by that is at these crossroads of places where we can worship, when we choose what's best for ourselves and not choose to sacrificially give to Jesus. In those places where God has called us to walk, and we choose to do our own thing and ignore Christ's commands altogether. The church at times has JDD, Jesus Deficit Disorder. Today we're on a journey. And we're going to see this journey in light of Elijah and Elisha. And on their journey, we're going to see them take some exits. And we're going to see some good in the exits. And we're going to see some bad in the exits. But not just that, we're also going to compare that to our life in Christ. And you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, Kenny. You're talking about the Old Testament with Elijah and Elisha, and then you're, you're drawing us into the New Testament. How does that work? I thought they were different. Well, they are, but the Holy Spirit is the author. And the Holy Spirit, though there are many people he spoke through, it's the Holy Spirit who authored it. And he's woven these themes and ideas and concepts and truths and principles into the scriptures that we could have life and that we could follow him in that life. And so that's what we're going to do today. We'll be in 2 Kings chapter 2. And as you're turning there, I want to give you a, a, a few things to consider. The first thing to consider is this, that we won't have the scriptures up on the screens today. And we've been doing that very purposefully. And the idea is not to shame anyone. We don't, that's not our goal. But our goal is to encourage people to bring their Bibles. 
that this, this is the sword, man. We want to make sure our swords are sharp. We are ready for a battle, and that battle is a spiritual battle, and we want to be engaged in that battle. And so we want to get in our word in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, see how it works, underline, highlight, go back to it. Man, let's wear these pages out. Uh, that's our hope. That's our goal in doing this. So that's one point. Uh, the other thing that I, I want to remind us is that where we have come, we've talked just a few weeks ago, we talked about life and how uh, to life, l'chaim, right? We, we talked about how we, how we need Christ's life and how he's offered it for us. Last week, we talked about idols and these areas of our life where we choose satisfaction, we choose significance, we choose security instead of choosing obedience to Christ. So the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And we find ourselves walking in those places often. And in fact, Scripture spends a lot of time addressing idolatry very specifically in concrete ways and also in abstract ways throughout the Scriptures in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so we want to be aware of that as we walk this path, as we go on this journey. And at the end of this journey, today, my hope is that we'll be engaged in revival. And consider that word, revival, to be revived. We have life and then we're, we're uh, living again. And so for those who, of you who have been believers for a long time, maybe that's this, uh, this fire, this holy fire in your own heart, in your own spirit that would be fanned, that would take over, that there wouldn't be an issue of Jesus' deficit disorder in our lives. But perhaps that's it. Or maybe it's just experiencing life for the first time for some. And that's okay. Calling on the name of the Lord, that is always the right thing to do. And so this journey, I believe, is going to take us to that end, or at least at the crossroads, where we, at least in part, can choose that. We're in 2 Kings chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 1. And the way we're going to do it today is we're just going to walk through the first 14 verses of this passage. Talk about it as we go, identify and highlight a few things uh, that are important. Okay, so first of all, as we jump into it, we have Elijah. That's who we've been talking about this whole time, right? Uh, ordinary guy. Elijah is, my God is Lord, or the Lord is my God, right? That's Elijah. But then there's another character in this, and this guy is going to take over for him, and he's Elisha. The Lord is is my salvation, or my Lord is salvation. So keep that in mind, because again, this is a theme that is running through it. And in the context of idolatry uh, in the northern kingdom, that's an important piece to all of this. It's God. It's God who is one. It's God who we call on. It's, it's our Lord. It's Yahweh. It's Him. It's not Baal, it's not Beelzebub, it's not the Lord of the flies, the Lord of the dung, that's not where we go. It's God and God alone. And that God is the one who can supply salvation. So let's look at it. Verse 1, here we go, buckle up, we're in a journey, we're on a journey. Here we go, full speed ahead. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Go ahead and underline Gilgal. Gilgal, the root of it, means circle or wheel. Uh, it's probably the name based on a situation that occurred there. When the children of Israel came out of the wilderness, crossed 
the Jordan in a miraculous way, they went to the city, Gilgal. And at that city, they took stones from the Jordan and they placed it, uh, they, they placed that, those stones in Gilgal to remember what God had done. How God had called uh, Jacob to be Israel, to become Israel, the one who wrestles with God. And that from Israel come these 12 tribes. And they're remembering God's promises in their lives in Gilgal. That's the exit that we actually start on. Now, here's the issue. We can celebrate that or we can just stay there. And sometimes we like to park it at that exit. Let's just remember what God has done. Let's just stay in the past. Let's remember that God has called us. He's going to take care of everything. I have no responsibility or, uh, or need to engage. God is good. And though God is good, that attitude is not. To stay on that exit is problematic. And we have to keep in mind that every exit has good and it has bad. And all you have to do is travel a highway in America to see the truth of that in a place where you can get food and water and nourishment and give kids opportunity to run around at an exit. At that same exit, at a little bit different location, there's also human trafficking that could be going on. There could be uh, adult bookstores that are right there. So you, you have good and you have bad, even in the same exit. And we certainly see that at this exit called Gilgal. Let's keep looking and see what happens. Verse 2. And Elisha said, or I'm sorry, and Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. Go ahead and underline Bethel. And I want you to keep this in mind. So here is Elijah. He's engaged with his disciple. We could call him a disciple, a follower, uh, Elisha. And Elisha, he's telling him, This is going to be a big, this is a big day. I'm getting called to heaven today. And God is calling me not just to Gilgal, but also to Bethel. I'm going to go to Bethel. Why don't you just stay here? And that's the challenge, right? It, uh, so am I going to stay at this exit, or am I going to get back on this journey? Let's see what he says. Um, before I go there, let me give you a little bit more information about Bethel, because it'll make a little more sense. So Bethel in Genesis chapter 35, verse 15, God speaks to Jacob at this spot called Bethel. Bethel's a great place. God spoke there. Jacob calls it Bethel, the house of God. Bethel, Bethel. So the house of God. But also, there is a problem that has occurred. And the Israel has split in two. There is Judah in the south, and there's the northern kingdom. Sometimes just referred to as Israel. But the northern kingdom had this problem. And the problem, the king thought, is that my kingdom might go back and be reconciled to the south. So we got to figure this out. If they go down and worship in Jerusalem like they're called to do, we have a problem. I don't want that. So he sets up two statues of golden calves, one in Dan and one in Bethel. Bethel, the house of God, the place where God spoke. And so there is this idolatry and this imagery that comes to place. And I want you to think about that imagery for a moment. Because uh, it's reflective of the wilderness wanderings and the story that occurred there. Remember the wilderness wanderings where the children of Israel, they're walking around the wilderness for 40 years. And they're led at, in the day by a cloud and at night a pillar of fire. Remember that? Now here's the significance of that. God led them when he wanted to. 
sometimes in the day and sometimes at night, and God did what he wanted to do. But then they said, let's make for us a statue, an idol of gold. And they called it Elohim, God. Sometimes the translation says gods, and, and that's, that's true, that's accurate, but probably referring to the, Israel, the God of Israel, Elohim. And so the significance is that with this golden calf, they can lead it around. Hey, everybody, is it a good time for us to move? Is everybody ready? Can we move now? Is everybody willing to go? Do you got your animals ready? You got your stuff packed up? It's time to go. Let's go. Well, we'll wait on you. That's no problem. Okay, God, let's go. And they pull the statue along with them. That's the problem with a golden calf. And that's the issue. See, the golden calf is led by people. God is not led by people. There's no bridle that we pull him around in. We don't lead him. He leads us. But at Bethel, we can go to the good piece of it at that exit. God speaks. But we can also uh, make God into this idol that we lead around as if that were the case. Let's continue on. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. Underline that phrase. It's important. Elisha is going to say it three times. There's another time, Naomi, when she's calling Ruth, or when she's going back to Israel, Ruth, uh, her daughter-in-law, is following her. Three times her daughter-in-law says, I want to follow you. And three times Ruth goes, no, (laughs) no, you don't want to do that. Yeah, you don't want to follow me. Uh, Here we see it not in a conversion sort of way, but in a following sort of way, in a discipleship kind of way. As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. This is Elisha talking to Elijah. But let's push pause on that story and let's go to ours. In the New Testament, discipleship looked like this. As my rabbi is, so I want to become, may I follow you, was the call of the disciple. And if the disciple, or I'm sorry, if the rabbi thought they were particularly smart, particularly um, good, then he would say, come follow me. And there's this idea that they would, they would even sometimes use the phrase to be covered in the dust of the rabbi. And the idea was that as my rabbi is walking and dust is kicking up behind him, I'm following him so closely that his dust is getting on me. So uh, Jesus in the New Testament, he doesn't wait for disciples to come to him. He goes to them. And in essence, he's saying, as I am, so you can become, follow me. That's a big deal. Uh, an amazing offer that God gives us. So now we jump into our story. Are there these times where we have these situations where we want to take this exit? Uh, I'd rather stay in Bethel. I'd rather do my own thing. I'd rather lead God around than follow him and be covered in his dust. And sometimes it's going to get dirty. And sometimes I'm going to get messy. And sometimes this road is long. And sometimes this road is hard. And I'd rather do my own thing. Stay at the exit. Or I'm going to follow Jesus. Where are you in this process is the question. Where am I in this process with this question? Verse 3. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha. And said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? So they're trying to dissuade him. Just stay here. Uh, Elijah is getting called up to heaven soon. Why don't you just stay here in Bethel? Wouldn't it be better? Wouldn't you rather do that? 
uh, Elisha responds very graciously. Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. <laughs> I love that. You know, sometimes we need to do that. Sometimes it's those people that are closest to us that are on mission with us, or at least we think they're on mission with us, that sometimes encourage us to stay at those exits a little bit longer than we should. And sometimes, not just a little bit, sometimes a lot longer than we should. And we need to be willing and able to say, yeah, I know, leave me alone. God has called me here, and I'm choosing to follow God. I'm going to be obedient to the Lord in this even when it's coming from a, a relatively good place or a safe place. Let's jump over to verse 4. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. Underline Jericho. Remember when the children of Israel came over the Jordan after they went to Gilgal, uh, they went to this place called Jericho. Jericho was this amazing fortified city like no other place on earth at that time. There were chariot races on top of the walls of that city. And God says he's going to, he's going to tear down those walls. And it's not by your might, Israel, but by my word. And so God gives them a command. They follow it. And wouldn't you know it, the walls come down. And in that place where the walls are torn down, Joshua makes this proclamation and the proclamation is that there is a curse if this city is rebuilt. Fast forward to 1 Kings chapter 16. There's a man named Hiel. Hiel is of Bethel, by the way, interestingly enough. And he goes over to Jericho and he rebuilds it. And he suffers the consequences of being disobedient to the Lord. And his sons die. Now, the context of 1 Kings chapter 16 is in the context of idolatry. So I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit injecting uh, an opinion into this situation, but it, it appears that one of the problems with Jericho is that there's idolatry involved. It's also that uh, Ahab is a part of, or connected to this as well. It's the beginning of Elijah's ministry is with the rebuilding of Jericho. And now they're going to Jericho. Jericho is a great exit. If you want to pause and remember what God has done and how God in a miraculous way saved the children of Israel, if you want to be there for that, that's great. But it's also a place where you're really tempted in the flesh to stay. It's a place where you're, you can build your own work in this place. We can rebuild this city. We can make it beautiful and strong again. We can rebuild it in and of ourselves. Do we really even need God? And Jericho can reflect that. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you three times. I'm not going anywhere. It's interesting, though, that issue of three. I mentioned Ruth in the New Testament. Uh, there's also this guy, Peter, right, who's being restored. Do you really love me? Yes, I do. Are you sure you love me? Yes, I do. Are you 
positive you love me? I'm broken that you have to ask. Lord, I do love you. We see that restoration piece. And maybe you need that in your own life. Maybe you're at that crossroads of faith and fear. I mean, you've been on this path, but you've taken this exit, and you've stayed on this exit a little too long. I wonder what the Jordan has for you. I wonder if there is a change in direction, a change of course that occurs. And so I want to encourage you to jump back in the race, to be restored. Let's go to, uh, let's go to verse 6. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, uh, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them, as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. If you've been following this story, you're seeing a lot of connections to the children of Israel as they crossed into the promised land. This is another one of them. Supplementally, I would encourage you to go back and read Joshua chapter 3 and 4. And you'll see this kind of played out. But one of the things that occurs is the children of Israel come up to the Jordan and the priests step in the water and the water recedes and it's parted and the children of Israel walk through it, which is an amazing miracle that is also reflective of the miracle that God did with the children of Israel when they crossed the Red Sea to get away from Pharaoh. And it appears in this moment that perhaps God is saying, children of Israel, You have been following other gods, and I want you to know that I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I am with you on this journey, and if you would be willing, I am here. I will join you in this place. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went... Oh, sorry, I already read that. Why didn't you tell me? Jeepers, come on. Verse 9. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken away from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And Elijah said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. Let's pause there for a second. In the story of Elijah there are seven miracles that are recorded. In the story of Elisha, there are 14. This idea that he is willing to, or that he's asking for a double portion is that he's also continuing in the ministry of Elijah. Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples, he says, greater things than this will you do. And I don't think he was talking individually, you are going to be able to do this, you're going to be able to walk on water or raise people from the dead. But I think corporately seems to be the emphasis. You followers of me are going to do greater things. You're going to be about my business and you're going to see greater things than this. And I would say that the facts are we have and we are. And the reality that as we follow Jesus, we're seeing lives transformed, an amazing miracle. We've seen... Uh, We've seen people in the hundreds and thousands come to Christ. One statistic says that there are 3,000 people worldwide that are coming to Jesus every day. 
Though we may not be seeing that in the United States like they are in other parts of the world, especially parts that are being persecuted, it is happening. On one day, Peter saw it, but that's happening every day in the world right now. Lives transformed, calling on Christ. That is a beautiful, amazing thing. And we are a part of that journey if we're not in the exit. Verse 11. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Now, I I think this is intriguing um, that, that this fire comes down, separates them, calls Elijah up. It could be a response to even Elijah on top of Mount Carmel. Remember on Mount Carmel, God accepts the offering that Elijah gives. And even though the the altar is flooded with water, he still accepts the offering. Fire comes down, completely consumes it. There's almost this feel as if God is saying, Elijah, I completely accept you and I'm calling you up as a, your life as a sacrifice to me. It, it feels that way. It could be that I'm, again, that's, conjecture a little bit, but it could certainly be that. could be a reminder that the God who leads by fire in the wilderness is still God there today. And I think that is fleshed out in the following verses. Verse 13, and he took up the cloak of Elijah. Don't miss that. In fact, I want to encourage you to underline it. He took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? In other words, did did you take Elijah and leave us? Are you still with us? Am I here alone? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other. And Elisha went over, just like the children of Israel crossed the Jordan going into the promised land. Elisha does the same here. But don't miss, he's clothed in the robe of Elijah. He's clothed in the robe. I'd like you to go ahead and you can hold your spot there, but turn to Galatians. Turn to Galatians chapter 3. And as you're turning to Galatians chapter 3, I, I want to remind us that there, there are some differences that we have as followers of Jesus. Um, Galatians 2.20 says it this way, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. So what that means is that it's not my life, but Christ's life in me and through me. It's not your life, but it's Christ's life in you and through you. That God says in 1 John and in 1 Peter that his seed has been placed within us. God's spiritual DNA has been placed within us that is transformative from the inside out. His spiritual DNA is changing us. Just like your DNA may dictate that you look like your parents, our spiritual DNA dictates that we look like our Father. That we are being transformed to look more and more like Jesus, more and more. That's an important piece to note as we're on this journey because I, 
what we can do at this moment is we can think in terms of behavior modification. Do the right thing for the sake of the right thing that you might get good things in your life. That's behavior modification. It's not bad, but it is behavior modification and it encourages JDD, Jesus Deficit Disorder. What we're talking about is spiritual transformation that happens from the inside out. The work of God within us transforming us from the inside out. And it looks like this. If you're in Galatians chapter 3, go ahead and skip down to verse 26 and 27. It says it this way. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Now, oftentimes when, when we get to this place, someone will, will be a little bit offended and like, why doesn't it say sons and daughters? Um, and, and I understand But we also have to understand that this is in the context of the day. It's a description, not a prescription, okay? So it's in the context of the day. And the context of the day was this, that if you were a son, you got an inheritance. The implication is that if you were a daughter, you would marry and you would be a part, you would be getting a part of your husband's inheritance, right? So the son would get an inheritance uh, from his father. So we're starting off in this place. There is an inheritance. There is a place for us. Through faith, through trusting God. Verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized, let me just stop there because as soon as I say baptized, we immediately think of a water tank and dunking people. Uh, and, and that in general is true. That is how we practice baptism. Um, as a believer, we, we practice baptism that way. Um, that's a choice. This is talking about something a little bit different, though. So in this case, I would like you to use the word immerse or immersion. This is how it looked in, in the New Testament times. So if you came to, say, a marketplace, and you said, I have a robe, and this robe is white, but I want this robe to be purple, you would go over to someone who, can, who has a purple dye, uh, in the marketplace, and you would say, hey, I want you to baptize, I want you to immerse this robe in the purple dye. And so they would do that. They'd take your robe, and they'd put it in the dye, and they'd have this big vat, and they'd have a long stick, and they'd stir it around, and they'd pull it up, and they'd say, is this purple enough for you? And you'd go, mm, I don't know. And they'd, so they'd stick it back down there, and they'd, until you were happy. Here, is it happy? Are you happy now? Yep, that's the purple I want. So those of us who have been baptized, who have been immersed in Jesus. There's this idea of, a, again, a transformation. We're looking more and more like Jesus. Uh, water baptism is a symbol of a spiritual reality, and that's what we see there. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Put on Christ. In other words, just like Elisha puts on Elijah's robe, we are putting on Christ. That when the father looks at us, he sees his son, Jesus, and his works, not our works. That's an important piece as you travel this journey because we sometimes want to stay in these exits. This exit that reminds us of what has happened in the past. Good things. But this exit that as we're reminded of the past, we just kind of want to stay there and not get on the journey. But because of this transformation that is occurring, we get back out on the road and we continue this journey. 
And it'll take us to this other place where we hear from God and we love what God has said. But if we're not careful, we can try to stay in that place and order God around. Well, God, shouldn't you do this? Shouldn't you do this? Shouldn't you follow me here? Name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, whatever you want to say. Uh, But we're trying to tell God what to do. It's a bad thing. So because we've been transformed and are transformed, we get back on our journey. But then there's this other place that we go to where the victories of God exist. We're reminded of the victories, which is awesome. But we can also revel in the flesh, love the flesh in that place, and build our own kingdom. We have to be careful, so careful. There's a revival that God is calling us to, I believe, to revive our spirits, to fan the flame, a holy revival that I hope will ignite beyond this moment. But it's going to require us responding to God. And so I want to ask a couple of things. One, I want to ask and even challenge you to pray a prayer like this. God, would you give me revival? I, I want to be immersed, to be challenged, to be transformed, to look more and more like you. And I want that flame to be fanned. Lord, would you do that in my life even now? So that's one. The next thing that I want to encourage you to do is covet with another person. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's someone else in your home. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's one of your teachers, whomever. And to pray for one another that way. Pray for yourself that God would fan the flame of revival in your heart, but also fan the flame of revival in their heart as well. I want to encourage you to do that. And take this time. The worship team's going to come out. And as they're coming out, I want you to just quietly before the Lord right now as they're preparing for you to just seek God. God, what do you want to do in my journey? Have I taken an exit and stayed there? Do I need to get back on the road? And then this final piece of it, Lord, is have I put on Christ? Am I living that Christ-like life? Christ-like life. There we go. Um, For your glory. Consider that as the worship team comes and leads us in this song.